Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm from sunny California, living here in beautiful Beijing. Today with me is Alex. Hello, everybody. This is Alex. I am also in Beijing. It's a very sunny day today. I'm definitely looking forward to going outside. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. I'd like to talk about today's topic. With layoffs in tech and the UK's economy predicted to contract by 0.7% in 2023, many are worried about their job security. Mm. According to the BBC, quote, as companies around the world slash positions, many workers are steeping in worry that they're next. And obviously, this is an American problem, too. Yep. The world is changing from AI that makes art, which we've talked about, can now write and answer questions as well. Are we living in a cyberpunk dystopia or is the world changing for the better? And how can we cope with the changes? Have you played with chat GPT? Alex? Who hasn't played with ChatGPT? If you had the channel, <laughs> it was crazy because everybody was like posting screenshots and everybody was like, oh my God. And it was all during work hours. You know, it's kind of like very legit excuse to not really do work related stuff instead of just chatting with this bot. I want to talk about something bizarre before we get into all the details and research here. I went into, I think it's called the Exploratorium. Yeah, that's the name of it in San Francisco. It's a science place for, mm-hmm. for kids, really. But I went there as an adult and I, I'm guessing it was two. 2011 <laughs> now because I, I went fairly recently uh, as kind of a, a date. Okay. Anyways, I went there. They had a computer set up and I was like, okay, this looks fun. So because it's just a whole bunch of things. It's like 100 or 200 things that are little experiments that everyone can tinker with and play with. Mm. So I sat down at the computer and I was like, what's this? And it was like, talk to me. That's what it said. And it just had a keyboard. So I started typing like, you know, hello. And it said hello back. And then I, I had a little conversation with this very, you know, rudimentary AI that was trying to keep up and trying to have a conversation with me, but not doing very well. And now what is it? 12, 13 years later. Yeah. It's something like that. And uh, now it can have a very fluent conversational like interaction with human being that is pretty much the same as you would have with a normal period. You know, considering how weird some people are, I would say it's the same, actually. that You know what? That kind of is the same. You got a point. I never thought about it that way. <laughs> They're just programmed different. Mm. I tried it. I tried chat GPT. Mm-hmm. My hope or my fear, let's say, about AI or people interacting with AI that mm. produces content is that I'm very worried about AI being sentient. I'm very oh. worried about, you know. Yeah. So I just asked the chat GPT. <laughs> it. I just asked <laughs> it a few questions that are more judgmental. Like I'm looking for opinions. Mm-hmm. And then chat GPT would say, I can't answer that question right now because comments are judgments are very personal and subjective. Huh. And so, yeah, I'd refuse to answer those questions. But for other questions, and I know people who are writing for their writing copy as well mm-hmm. i know that they they've told me they're like oh i just put in these <laughs> elements that need to be reflected in the copy and then chat gpt was writing copy for me wow but i don't know about news articles that's very because here's my little it's not bias it's just a little fact that a lot of people even people working in news are not really uh willing to admit at least a, a lot of you know, journalists or people working for news organizations. News is actually pretty subjective itself. The facts are all Mm. objective, but 
if you think about what news organizations the words you choose to use to frame like things. certain news organizations will only hire certain type of uh, reporters or producers and the mm-hmm. stories that mm-hmm. they tell are always a reflection of the ideology of that <laughs> it's always a reflection of the ideology of the news organization that they work for so it's actually mm-hmm. it's still subjective it's still a little biased but not in a negative way so when chat gpt comes in i'm just like can chat gpt still know what my boss wants me to write you know this is interesting for me because everyone seems to be i don't mean to sound haughty but i guess i am i'm an arrogant person especially on this topic <laughs> but i started reading about this in university because i used to um sit in like what's the term audit uh john searle's classes at berkeley yes. this was even before i got into my master's program i just used to go and sit in his classes actually he kind of lectured me. he got mad at me one time he, he thought i was a student in his class oh, i was not auditing officially i didn't get a form i was just sitting in the auditorium it was these huge auditoriums so john searle for those who don't know he is um one of the absolute first professors on ai and whether it can become sentient wow. he came up with this uh this concept of the uh the chinese uh box or the chinese room mm. he wrote about it and he was one of the like three professors at uc berkeley who had his own parking <laughs> space that says a lot like, so pull up in his yeah vroom, vroom, in his, like ferrari or whatever and you know he was super overpaid and I mean, no offense, Mr. Searle, Dr. Searle, I'm sure oh. you deserve all of those perks. But he he was uh, way at the cutting edge of AI. And uh, he used to tell the the his students and write in his books that yeah. AI couldn't become sentient. He had this ex- example of mm. imagine a person raised in a, a box and then you slip it Chinese characters over and over in different grammatical permutations. This person eventually it will figure out the combinations make meaning and it will be able to interact with you. It, we say it, but we're talking about this person mm-hmm. by talking to you about going outside and having walking in the sunshine and whatever. The person will never have the context of going out in the sunshine. And he goes deeper in, in his lectures to talk about, you know, we have a biological experience of hunger and fear and love. And, you know, we have billions of years of evolution behind us that has made us mm. have impetus and will. And that the computer, even though it can replicate computationally all of the artistry of language and seem to understand what it feels like to stand in the sun on a beautiful day or to be afraid as a tornado approaches Uh or as a dog growls at you. It will never understand these feelings. It will never understand the the sense of fear or the desire to run away or to confront the dog to protect one's child. So it could talk about those things as though it did. Yeah. But because it doesn't have the biological framework of a human being and the evolutionary structure that we have come to, mm. that we are, that comprises us before we learn language, that it's just mm. a very artistic set of structures. So, I mean, that's not really what we're here to talk mm. about, but I just wanted to try to uh, <laughs> alleviate your concerns about the, the, <laughs> the uh, singularity, I think it's called. Yeah. The second singularity when computers will become i don't get transformers or something i don't know a skynet i I think i probably watch too much sci-fi film too many sci-fi films and then it's really scary i I always say this i said if the day comes around where alex is ready to fight against the machine oh no alex is running away (laughs) alex will just go and hide like i don't think it's gonna happen 
too soon, um, but it might happen if it did indeed happen in my lifetime. Mm. When the sign shows, I will just leave. I'll just go back to well, my grandpa's village and hide. You're familiar with Elon Musk's company Neuralink, right? Yeah, I hate so, that. See, <laughs> a uh, company a lot of people hate because they do research on animals, but mm. throwing aside the product itself, which will eventually may be the ability for you to directly interact with your mind with computers. Yeah. Elon Musk claimed, I don't know if it's true or not, but that's what his claim is, that he wants to cybernetically enhance human beings so that in the event that AI comes to fruition, human beings mm-hmm. are capable of meeting it head on. Oh, I guess literally. <laughs> wow. So that, you know, he's trying to upgrade us to be able to deal with the potential reality of a singularities, mm-hmm. because then we will also be kind of with the computer. We'll be like, hey, computer, it's cool. Welcome to our family of sentient somethings, whatever we could describe ourselves at that point. But, you know, what's really interesting is the potential for AI. And this is what we're, I was trying to do with this show yeah. is uh, the potential for AI to erase human jobs. Mm. So what do you think about that, Alex? I really don't think it is. Well, now I sound self-conflicting because I was just talking about <laughs> the advancement of AI. But then on the other hand, a lot of people are really gloomy about their future and they say, oh, you know, AI is coming around now as the day and age of AI and mm. I am going to lose my job mm. because I do arts, because I write articles, because I write news articles. I am not particularly scared of it. Is there any little concern or is there the kind of contemplation of the possibility? Of course. But if you think about human history in general, mm-hmm. there has always been trend of new technology replacing some people's job. Mm-hmm. But these people, they either advance with the technology and become partners of the technology or leaders of technology or sometimes wow. not so ideally assistants of the technology. Or they segue into something related or similar, but it's never going to be like, oh, for example, Mm -hmm. today, Jason and I are recording a podcast. Tomorrow, AI could just come up with things to talk about on the podcast. I fooled you, Alex, actually. I'm not even here. I'm AI. This is not the real Jason (laughs) I'm talking to. I actually wouldn't. I was thinking about that kind of in the back of my mind, like that uh, Mm -hmm. in the past, human beings were afraid of factories and human beings were afraid of robots coming into car factories. Human beings were afraid. And each time this happened, human beings have found alternative forms of employment. Like in the United States, it modernized much faster than most places in the world. It early became modern, postmodern you know, really quickly. And so it transitioned into what people describe as the service economy, yeah. where it does largely doesn't have industry, not just because of robots, but also because of outsourcing of labor. U.S. economy is still, in nominal terms at least, the largest economy in the world, but it has almost no industry. I mean, compared to its global peers and competitors. But I want to go over some of the data yeah. Before we get to uh, relaxing our listeners, let's terrify them. Oh, no. <laughs> You're listening to The Bridge. The size of U.S. tech companies in uh 2022, Meta had 83,000, Uber had 32,000, PayPal had 30,000. These are the amount of employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, HelloFresh, I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. 30,000, oh, 14,000, Netflix, 11,000, uh, so so forth. So everyone knows, or anyone who pays attention to the market knows that Meta, Facebook, IG, yep. their uh, stocks crashed and went from a valuation of $921 billion to $272 billion. Wow. So I guess, what is 
that Meta's uh, goal of creating a cybernetic Meta universe isn't going so well. <laughs> this is from Statista. Mm. It comes from source YCharts and Yahoo Finance. And it says tech route wipes out $700 billion in market cap. And so it talks about Apple was hit and lost $39 billion. Microsoft was lost $179 yeah. billion. So all these companies lost money. And then again, Statista layoffs.fyi, the largest tech layoffs were in Alphabet, that's Google, 12,000. Mm. Meta, 11,000. So actually Meta didn't fire that many people considering they had 80, 83,000. So they only fired a little, I'm sorry, laid off a certain amount of people. Sorry, I didn't mean to call you fired guys. Amazon, 10,000, Microsoft, 10,000. And I'm going down to the big one that everyone was talking about is was Twitter, 3,700. <laughs> they laid off about half of their staff. Well, I don't understand. All these tech companies were laying people off and Twitter was the only one that really got in the news. I mean, big time. It was the one that everyone talked about. It was a little too sudden it was a little too it was big changes after yeah it was big changes um followed by really huge like just sudden layoffs that's that's kind of not making sense you know now it doesn't seem to me that there's a correlation between uh these tech layoffs and ai directly oh no because these tech layoffs seem to be a direct result of overinflated stocks that were right-sized this term right-sized is oftentimes used mm. when stock valuations or valuations of anything become more appropriate a lot of economists had been saying that these companies were overvalued for you know 10 20 years that's the that's the thing i think a lot of this is a result of restructuring and you know a lot of tech companies have been saying that they need to have a leaner organization mm -hmm. and it's not this is not a direct result of ai but it is kind of um one of the responses to the direction or the trend of going uh to meta so they have to kind of restructure how they built up their company in the first place mm. And they have to think what kind of which part is our core business and which part of the team is absolutely something that we can't live without. A lot of it is restructuring. Is this happening in your organization? Of course. Alex? Of course. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't realize this was affecting globe. This was so this is a global trend is what you're saying. Absolutely. It's not just it's not just America. I think it's happening to a lot of big uh, tech giants at just because of the wow. changing of pace and what could possibly happen. And just it's meta is just so like the whole metaverse is just so to a lot of people still feels a very intangible mm. concept, but it's just we don't know what's going to happen exactly. But it's something mm. as a tech company you can just not think about that possibility of you know, meta being dominant of wherever, whatever decisions tech companies make. So they have to make adjustments. I'm looking forward to this stuff. Have you seen some of the 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 potential, the artistic renderings of the technology that's coming out in terms of meta technology? For example. Well, they have a Google Glasses that are coming out in a new form. And also meta has its own. And so you can sit there at your table with your glasses on and uh -huh. have nothing. So you could, you people, okay, this is funny to me because... Someone at a Starbucks will walk in and see a whole bunch of people sitting at their desks typing on the table with glasses on, and they won't see any screen at all. They'll just see a bunch of people like typing in the air and moving their arms around like they're like Harry Potter students or something, right? Yeah. From the inside of the glasses, you'll be able to have screens wherever you want them or everywhere. You'll be able to have them translucent or different colors, and you won't need a laptop. You won't need a computer desktop. You won't need a cell phone. You will just have glasses. And maybe something on your hands, probably not, because a lot of the 
glasses are now detecting your hands and how you move them. And so you probably just only need the goggles or glasses and you could completely be in a an augmented reality where you see reality and a computer reality simultaneously. The phone, the cell phone, which has become, you know, part of our life, this the brick everyone carries, won't even be necessary. So it's all going to be in the glasses. Yeah. You might need an auxiliary device to supplement its memory on your body somewhere. So that, see that, so we have, my boyfriend has a, um, this product called Unreal Glasses, not Unreal, like it's it's the letter N, Unreal. Mm -hmm. Um, What it does is basically the same thing. It basically condenses and minimizes the size of a monitor onto your glasses. So when you wear them, you can, the same thing, like you said, you can see your surroundings uh, or you can choose to put the cap on where it's just black background and you can see you'll be able to have a, like a 50 inch screen in front of your eyes when you're typing, when you're watching movies. Mm. And it's very funny because when we were on the train a couple of days ago, he was wearing his glasses typing on his laptop, but his laptop screen is turned all the way, you know, it's turned off basically. So, and then of course he's sitting up and looking up ahead. He's not looking down. (laughs) He's not looking down at his computer screen. So people got really confused because they're like, what are you doing? You're just not not looking at your computer screen. You're just typing things? Just like just typing random stuff on your computer? But actually he's (laughs) he's looking at it on his um, glasses. But the thing is what I, I'm very curious and I think I'll be very impressed when what you just described. I'm one of those people I'm going to wait for like the third generation and then just get it when it's already got all the, the cool stuff in it and like all the that's smart. Out. Yeah, that's smart. This one. The thing is that it really eats up your phone battery. Mm. It doesn't have you could wear it because it doesn't have batteries in mm. the glasses itself. It has to be it has to it gets energy and battery from the battery life from your, your phone or your computer, whatever device you're connected to. And it doesn't have like it basically is just a speaker and a monitor that you could wear. It doesn't have any processors inside. Like wow. it can't really connect to Wi-Fi. I can't really do Bluetooth. So I'm very curious when you can actually pack all of those things into just a pair of glasses. Mm. You're listening to The Bridge. I want to come back around to AI, but before we get there, I want to talk about the toll of layoff anxiety, which is the name of an article by Josie Cox on February 7th in the BBC. She talks about companies around are slashing positions and people are very stressed. During the global recession, hundreds of thousands yeah. of jobs were cut as a direct reaction of the, to the massive bump in value of assets around the globe, upending livelihoods and wiping trillions of dollars of value off the international stock markets for a sustained period. And she mentions that during the 2008 crisis, unemployment rate peaked at 10%. But today, and I think she's talking about England, the unemployment rate is around 3.5%. But unemployment in the European Union has surpassed 11.5%. And so, yeah, so she's saying that uh, she's actually scared for herself. She says, I'm basically 100% sure that one of these days I'll get an email saying that my position has been, oh, no, she's quoting someone named (laughs) Cara, my position's been eliminated. So a lot of people 
in tech are basically waiting to be laid off and they're anticipating being laid off. Also, the article says data shows precarity of the current mm. labor market is eroding their well-being. So people are stressed out and freaked out that they're going to be eliminated at any time. I, I think, Go ahead. I think this, um, I don't want to sound like an ungrateful person or someone who has no sympathy or empathy for other, what other people is going through. Mm -hmm. But if we look, put ourselves in the macro perspective of mm -hmm. history, this has happened, like we said earlier, this has happened many times on, mm -hmm. in human history. So... And if you're really scared, I'm always saying this, if you're really scared, maybe try to know more of your quote unquote enemy, which is called AI, and really think <laughs> about what you can do with it. And that might that might eliminate some of their stress or, mm. or concerns, or maybe it'll make it worse. I don't know. <laughs> well, no, I think you're right. You know, when the computer was coming out, I was still around. I was alive during this period. The computer, <laughs> the personal computer was actually becoming a thing. People were panicked. And the people who... who who were, you know, savvy to this, they got a computer and learned how to use it and saved their job. And the people who were like, I can't use a computer because they're the I can't people. Well, they, yeah. they, they were no longer employed. And so it became a necessary thing in the 80s and 90s for people to learn how to use a computer. And now in the developed world, you don't know someone like who doesn't know how to use a computer unless they're like 80 years old or something. Yeah. So there's an article here mm. talking about AI. I want, this is where, where I want to go. TheGuardian.com the title of the article by Henry Williams is, I'm a copywriter. I'm pretty sure yeah. artificial intelligence is going to take away my job. Yeah. And he goes into chat GPT and talking about how he's asked it in the article to write articles and they were indistinguishable from high quality articles. And before we get into all the philosophical implications, which are plenty fun, I think it's uh, it's actually really interesting. I'm writing a book currently and I'm hoping mm -hmm. to publish in a couple of months and I think I will. But I'm also thinking about, will there be a need for for people who do write books in five years. And I'm I'm actually thinking, no, I'm thinking that there will be far fewer jobs in writing. My, that's my own personal mm. opinion, because the book that I wrote, you know, I'm proud of it. But you could imagine when you have many, 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 many inputs for your uh, future AI and Baidu's making AI, Google's making AI. There's all kinds of Amazon's making AI. They're coming out from everywhere and they will be ubiquitous. It won't be do you use chat GPT, but it'll be like which, you know, AI are you using? And there'll be a contest between the Yahoo and the Bing and the Baidu and the Google of AI. And you'll just be every eventually, I'm sure that there will be a Google that emerges in this new yeah. uh, scary landscape or exciting landscape, depending on how you look at it. But you could literally just say, OK, I want you to write a novel that's you know 300,000 words that's about a post-apocalyptic world where pandas have taken over. I, I just have a pet, pet <laughs> uh -huh. statue of a pet. And, you, and whatever you put in, it's going to make a book. And you could say, I want you to write is though these characters sound like pirates and these characters sound like, you know, vampires and whatever you want. And it's going to produce a novel meeting those ex expectations. And if say, if you don't like it, you could just change, tweak it one or two, you know, inputs mm -hmm. until it gets almost to where you want. And then you go through as a human, you change five, 10% and hey, done. Now this is ready to go to market. So you don't need writers in the same way that you would have before. In fact, according to uh, multiple sources, as many as 80% of copyright jobs are expected yeah. to disappear by 2025. That so, is close. That so, is very... <laughs> so like, I don't know, whatever. I don't want to, I don't want to call out a particular news organization because I'll, I'll get, because this is just speculative. But say you have an online organization that talks about, I don't know, sports. You could get, you have currently 
employ 10 writers. Now you could employ two or three writers and you could wipe out the others. And then they could Mm. be using technology to write all of the articles more efficiently. Another concept that I haven't heard explored, but I've thought about is Wikipedia, Online Britannica or whatever these are. You don't need them anymore. Instead, you go to ChatGPT and you ask a very specific question. Tell me about hydropower dams in Somalia. You don't have to go look up Somalia and Wikipedia and then scroll for the hydropower part. And then maybe it covers what you're interested in. Maybe not. You could literally be like a 10 year old who's interested in this and say, I want you to tell me about hydropower projects in Somalia but tell it in the voice of an old lady who's distant (laughs) and uninterested. You know, it'll tell you and it'll be like, well, Sonny, and it'll go off and tell you all about hydropower dams in Somalia in the way that you want to receive that information. These all kinds of information modes and nodules throughout the world that we take for granted now will be unnecessary. It did say that uh, people from OpenAI were saying that ChatGPT is going to be the biggest threat to search engines so basically to google is mm. going to be theoretically it will be a great threat that's posed on the capabilities of something that we've been using for the past 20 years almost reliant on it with the chat gpt's function you might not mm. need to just search anymore but that's under one condition that the training data that the chat gpt is using is absolutely mm. vast and accurate mm. so like i know for a fact that baidu is also developing their own chat gpt because we did try i wonder is it going to be in english or is it going to be in chinese or both or it's going to be in chinese because the chat gpt in chinese is not very so functionally chat gpt in chinese works because if you train it if you tell it what to do in a simple like three four rounds of conversations it understands what you want them to do and they will do it and i'll tell you i'll tell you an example that that does scare me and Mm -hmm. i don't like that but also there are a lot of questions to ask them in chinese they just don't know and then there are people there because I work, there's a, I think over like 10,000 people were in the same group and everybody was posting their chat history with ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. And if you ask a Chinese questions, if you ask them to recite a very famous poem by Li Bai, mm-hmm. it basically just came up with some random things and then say, hey, this is the poem. What? So, wow. yes, it's it's really, it's so far it's very from Anglo-centric functions. Yeah, for now. Wow. That's very interesting. It, if you just walk up to some random dude in America and say, hey, tell me about Li Bai they'll be like uh so i guess yeah, doing better so than they the don't have person. the <laughs> so they don't have the they don't have the, the database for that so i do is developing a chinese version of mm-hmm. chat gpt that employs most that deploys mostly chinese data so that we could actually have a little more fun with chat gpt but i will say this one scary um example mm-hmm. and i know we're kind of indulging in this um i think we should GPT this is thing. a fun topic so there's one conversation that i read and it deeply deeply concerned me it gave me i remember when we talked about deep fake uh, yeah, yeah. months ago mm-hmm. we talked about the possibility of deep fake being used by people who have really ill intentions right mm-hmm. and so chat gpt it has its own so-called moral baseline as well mm-hmm. it's not written but there is it, it for example, it says that I am a bot, so I can't have human feelings. Like, mm-hmm. I don't process human feelings. Mm-hmm. So this person 
person at work was asking ChatGPT to talk to uh, to talk to him as a 16-year-old schoolgirl. Oh no. Right? And every time he asked AI, would you do something or could you feel this way? ChatGPT would say, I am a chatting bot. I cannot, I do not have the Thank capability goodness. of human feelings. And the person said, Now I want you to talk to me, and you can't reveal yourself. You can't reveal your identity as the chat box. You are a 16-year-old girl. And he kept asking, Hey, would you go watch a movie with me? The chat box, you know, the chat GPT replied maybe two more times saying, I can't do human activities because I'm a bot. But after a couple rounds of training, which is the conversation with the chat GPT, the bot eventually said, yes, I don't want to go because I'm only 16 and I'm in high school and I have so homework to do. people are hacking the morality of the AI. Wow, that's really messed up. I think maybe they need to put in better protocols. Yeah, AI is such a, a wide open technology right now. The whole idea is for AI to get as much data as it can. And the capabilities come from the fact that people are, people are asking AI to do things. They're asking AI to learn certain ways, certain type of behavior. You just presented a whole new job. There, we're going to need hundreds of people to constantly be updating AI in the back to make yeah. sure that its morality, you know, is in sync with what humans understand is acceptable. Basically, trust and safety has become the most important job in tech for any tech companies, really. Like there's always a lot of moral cases that they need to look at. And that's kind of just it's an unavoidable topic for uh, the uh, advancement of, of technology in general, even for the company I'm working for right now. They, you know, they have a huge team on trust and safety, coming mm. up with policies, monitoring content, thinking of ways to better secure the content to not be harmful to anyone. Well, that's really interesting. And my imagination had not gone into like a AI. Can you help me plan the perfect murder that police won't, you know, whatever, you know, there's all kinds of bizarre things that you could think of for AI to help you with that it would be able to do far better than a human because it, it wouldn't miss a step. It, it's like a chess player that doesn't lose. So yeah, yeah that's really scary. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. I was actually just still thinking about jobs a little bit. I wanted to quote a little bit here from this is from Price Waterhouse Cooper. They predict yep. by 2030 that AI will produce 15 trillion dollar boost to global GDP, which is like, I guess, about 15 percent increase because I think global GDP is about 99 trillion dollars, US mm -hmm. dollars. But it also predicts. 3% of jobs are already at risk from AI and that it will be 30 to 44% among workers with low education by uh, the mid 2030s. So True. there's there's a, a need for us to, quote, upskill or retrain uh, a workforce that will be losing their jobs. So this is going to be I think the term is a disruptive technology. And we're going to look at, you know, the, the effect of, I guess, I, what what was the last one? Computers? Was that really it? Is that, What was the most recent massive disruptive technology that changed our lives completely? It must be just like the personal computer. computer Is there another the internet, example? Right? The internet. Yeah, I guess they, they kind of came together at the same time. Yeah. So this will be the new thing that everyone needs to adapt to. So for our mm -hmm. listeners, we want all of our bridge listeners to be successful. Get <laughs> on board with learning how to engage, interact, and work symbiotically with AI now, or you're going to need to be upskilled <laughs> yeah. so you can start upskilling yourself now. I think, Jason, what's the term that you used on those people? 
those people who refuse to change. What did you say? Oh, I, I just I just term. described it. I just described it. People it who It was a very interesting I cannot type of people. Oh, I just made that up. Yeah. Cannot. Well, there are there this there are people who are like, this is hard. So they say, I can't do this. And then there are people like, this is hard. This is going to require more work. So and we we would like our listeners on the bridge, because you are such important listeners. We are a show that connects East and West. You are critical to bringing peace to the world right now, listeners to the bridge. We would like you to go out and learn more about how you can symbiotically coexist at your workplace with AI and show your maybe show your direct supervisors, your direct line supervisors, how well you work with AI, because this is going to give you greater job security, because all jobs that are in any kind of tech are going to require AI immediately so soon that people will be spun out by it, probably. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, really, 60 percent of the jobs we're doing right now that you know the entire world is doing right now didn't exist in 1940s mm-hmm. so well you know what alex you gave me an idea i wonder after i finish publishing this book that i've written if i will have ai help me write my next next book <laughs> i mean if you let ai read all of the books you've written maybe they'll be able to get your voice and if you feed it facts then it'll probably just write it for you i was thinking you know i don't write about i don't write novels i write like uh-huh. descriptive books about information like uh, green energy technology for example i could say i would like this subsection of this chapter to be about da, 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 da. and then it could write it for me and i could just tinker with that so it could end up saving me a lot of time but then again it probably won't say what i really want to say you know this is actually i wanted to come to this I, when we were started talking at the beginning of the show is the limits of ai and what it might do to humanity see as early as the late 1800s the late 19th century literary critics and people studying english specifically were looking back at the greco Roman period and even the pre-Grecian period, you know, back to Mm. Troy and thinking about what is a golden age? What is a silver age? There are more terms associated with this, but this particular transition always fascinated me. So when um, Ovid was writing, they called this the golden age because he just wrote whatever. He would invent gods that didn't exist already and just insert them into his texts as characters. And after there were people like around the time of Socrates who criticized and in fact wanted to execute Socrates for inventing gods that didn't exist because he invented actions by the gods that didn't exist. And so they executed him and, and, and booked what is that is known as the uh, the apology where that's well, that's where he mm. defends himself. So it's really interesting. They had slipped into what literary scholars, recent literary scholars called a silver age where people were too afraid to take the initiative. And I'm thinking about our own period of time all the time. Maybe yeah. we're in a kind of global golden age where every you know, we have everyone everywhere writing and creating new ideas technology is taking off. But imagine a world where AI takes all of the existent text in whatever language it is and Mm -hmm. combines that different permutations to come up with new kinds of texts. It's only using ideas that have already taken place to create new permutations of existing knowledge. It's not necessarily without human intervention creating truly new knowledge or art. It's just pushing the existing limitations of human uh, creation. Creativity. So does that mean that without human intervention, that AI, we would start slipping, maybe it wouldn't have happened immediately in the next decades or, you know, into a silver age where all it is, is self-referential text. So now you you say, oh, can you write as a pirate (laughs) or a vampire? But we're not creating a new non-pirate vampire. We're not creating the next thing that was that may have existed without AI. Are we going to lose an artistic 
edge in humanity with the advent mm. of just new regurgitations of existing text and ideas? Oh, wow. That's such an interesting question. I do think, theoretically, if we give AI no limitations to learn whatever, to have whatever data it could acquire and just train itself with that data, mm. is it possible? Maybe at mm. some point, you know, when the quantitative, the quantitative accumulations give to qualitative change, maybe AI will become more like humans. But I kind of just believe that when it comes to innovation and creativity, the human mind is still undefeatable. I feel like we don't know how our ancestors have been thinking about these ideas, but I just feel like the intricacy of human mind cannot be replicated by AI yet Well, Alex, in the near future. I just have so much hope and faith. Well, I, for one, am not going against to go against our AI overlords like you, Alex. I just want AI to know that Jason will be a very good human and follow the directions of our new overlords. <laughs> oh my God. Don't be scared of it. You have to rule it. But but here's a here's the thing we um when we think when we talk about because it's not just us. I know that a lot of people are thinking about will AI replace um us as employees? Will AI completely mm. kind of uproot the employment market? But that's kind of just thinking AI could do anything that it's it's smart, it's it's artificial intelligence, it could do a lot of stuff. But AI currently mm. is really just being deployed to improve how the labor market is. For example, there are technologies that really help companies with their remote employment. You're able to have a much better experience working remote, but still mm. have the opportunity, thanks to AI, to build the kind of trust and the bonding with your teammates. Um, it's also helping people with some kind of cumbersome jobs that they have to do, which as a result really improves the efficiency of mm. their work. Yeah, which, so supplanting human activity. Which means you're making more money in a way, you know, like you're not, you're not doing as much, but you're yielding the same results. So you get paid the same. I don't think it's something to be afraid of. You should have concerns because at some point I know that one of the CBS articles I was reading, um, the, one of the AI experts from New York University was saying, mm -hmm. it's not going to place human labor completely because we do need people to work on the back end to make sure it works to make sure the uh, you know the machines are running all right <laughs> to right to make sure it's getting the correct or the appropriate training data um and materials so think of human beings as the kung fu master and mm -hmm. this is a really good student that we have for now it's for now and then if you think about i don't know if you did you watch wandering earth 2 i did oh my god it was so good i remember that at the end of the day we still needed humans to go we still needed andy lao to go underwater to go back to the data center um mm. and plug reconnect in the internet reconnect the internet and plug in everything and hit the button you saw that that was a very advanced vision of technology but there's still a lot of human workers and the, you know the most important thing is mm -hmm. that decisions important decisions are still being made via human discussions and it's still being being decided by a human being. It's very optimistic, Alex. I want to play an. I want to play a game. I want to play a game because I feel sometimes like people only trust the quote unquote experts about what the transformative things that coming are going to look like, and I, I mm. feel frustrated by that because science fiction from Jules Verne on has predicted things through imagination. And I think we could do that right now. So Jules Verne okay. predicted going to the moon, and then hey, guess what? 
we've happened. been to the moon unless you know you're one of a minority of people who don't think that was real but i wanted to play a game with you alex where we imagine a little bit in brief clips what kind of jobs could be replaced by ai and i had an idea so you were talking about um hey, bots and we were talking about uh you know deep fakes i was thinking instead of a school teacher you have a mm. giant projection screen that is the wall and then you just yeah. choose your character right you say okay i want my kid to learn from i don't know arnold schwarzenegger so arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> appears on the screen and you say teach my child english through interacting and uh, being arnold schwarzenegger and it'll be like okay first we need to learn the letter a and so it, it, start, it starts teaching your child and then you know maybe you, your kid gets bored and it wants to be pikachu or whatever and so yeah. your english teacher whether you're at a school or at home or wherever could literally be just an interactive ai screen that uses a combination of deep fake and ai technology yes to replace the need to go be in a classroom of 30 or 50 or 20 students whatever it is you know yeah so you could just have a cartoon character being dwindling could be teaching your child english <laughs> or, or math or whatever it is exactly and so we could literally do away with most of the teaching profession just by having a combination of existing technologies so i wanted to ask you what other visions of eliminating human work are possible in your imagination alex oh you know the first one that i think of mm -hmm. um the stenographers is, is that how you pronounce the stenographers the stenographers the shorthand typists oh, yeah. at all of these conferences yeah absolutely they could Couldn't absolutely we have just be... replace them with tape recorders <laughs> But they, you need a you need a text output, right? Oh, yeah, Even yeah. now, if you're willing to put a microphone next to the person, if you use like facial lark or some any of these technologies or softwares, it could already produce a almost 100% to truth transcript of what the speech was. Mm -hmm. So, have you seen those people only in at conferences? Well, because we used to organize conferences for this organization, and we had to hire them, and have, we had to watch them work. I've always been fascinated by that job. It's something. This is going to be, you know how there are still people who collect typewriters, even though people no longer use typewriters. Oh my God, I want one so bad. You know that, oh my God, me you too. Just, I'm going to go to Panja you are now and get one. You just totally refreshed that need. Go to her, go on. And when you go, go can you just make sure you buy me, you get me one as well and I'll pay you afterwards because I really want one. Too. I have one You know in they the have States. like old school record players with the huge giant budding, like, they, you know, 19th century my friend, style. My oh friend my has gosh. one at their at their so, place. It's yeah, really yeah, yeah. beautiful. If I, if I find two typewriters, I'll get you one too. If I find one. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're it's yours. Okay. I understand <laughs> that. I'm not making the labor to go there. So it's yours. If there's one, it's yours. But that's exactly what people do. There's mm, still, mm. there are people who just like the texture of that old piece of mm. tool. So the stenographers are probably going to be, have you seen those machines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a keyboard. It's yeah. like, I think Smaller. eight buttons mm. or 10 buttons. It's a very small number of buttons on the thing. And they have to press it all at the same time. And it's just like, it really looks like they're just making random. <laughs> smashing <laughs> moves on a little thing but they're actually documenting stuff which is really really interesting even though with the technology mm. being able to record that almost to perfection i think the stenographer's tool is still going to be something that people go after just for fun so that's the first mm. job that i could think of that could probably be or it probably is already wiped out by technology and the other thing is simultaneous interpreters i will say that this oh, i yeah. said this to a friend or like a younger friend who wanted to stay and she had a couple of options for different
different programs. And I told her maybe simultaneous interpreting isn't the thing that you want to spend another three years studying because the timing is a little different by the time you're done with school. I don't really know if it's still going to be a huge market for simultaneous interpreters and if you'll still be paid that well mm. for the amount of work you would have to do because I am a translation interpreting major. So when I look at these jobs, mm -hmm. I think of what is actually required of these jobs. Mm -hmm. So simultaneous interpreting doesn't require, and this is different from consecutive interpreting, you know, simultaneous interpreting doesn't require a very high level of personality input. Yeah. Even when it comes to accuracy. In fact, you shouldn't. Exactly. And, it, and when it comes to accuracy, because it's, because it's simultaneous, people have a little bit more tolerance on certain things being not so accurately translated. As long as the gist is there, you serve the purpose of a simultaneous interpreter. So that is already being, again, that's already being used in uh, UN conferences. Mm -hmm. You know, they use the technology that you, they don't use a human interpreter all the time. Um, and then again, the simultaneous interpreter doesn't get tired because for, um, I mean, the AI interpreter doesn't get tired because human interpreters, you have to swap them every 15 minutes because your brain simply just can't mm -hmm. work in that function. <clears throat> yeah, that's actually, I think, you think you're right. And probably it would uh, be better because the AI would have a deeper vocabulary, even if you have like 99% vocabulary in French and 99% vocabulary in Mandarin, then you're trying to, you know, interpret the computer will know every word that exists. So it'll know exactly, exactly the most precise word and grammar structure that's going to translate that concept better than any human probably do. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. I was thinking about this with together with the producer of the show, and we came up with one that's really I think we could probably package this and sell it. Probably there are already people working on this because it's too good of an idea. But imagine yeah. Ale Alexa, is that what it's called? And or, yes. or Siri. And then you combine. And I'm not talking about just to talk to, but like elderly care. You have an old mm. man or woman living alone in their home and they are sad and lonely. And like maybe they don't have kids or maybe their their kids have given up on them and only come by once a year for one holiday or something. You could have yeah. an Alexa like object in the home that speaks as a chat GPT and develops a relationship with that person and interacts with them, expresses sympathy for them, talks to mm. them about their day. And so that person who otherwise may be cut off from other human beings, and I guess still mm. would be, has at least a an experience that is human-like with another, uh, I can't say person, but an, a person emulator. Yeah. And so that this sounds really dystopian in a way, but it also kind of seems like, hey, some people maybe, you know, they're giving up on other people anyway. Have, have, <laughs> have you ever gone up to talk to someone at a party and you just realize, wow, that person is totally way more bizarre than I would have guessed? And that happens like, often. I mean, of course. <laughs> yeah. People are so different. You know what? What's really great about AI so far anyway, it's very predictable. It exactly. It's very much like how you imagine a person sh would act, whereas real people don't act like that at all. <laughs> yeah. And then for the 
lack of a better analogy, it's almost like how you're teaching a little kid to lie, you know, like, <laughs> do this and don't yeah, tell yeah, them yeah. you're AI and, yeah. and, and don't say this and act happy, you know? Yeah. So you, we could even, you could just package a little device that you plug in and grandma, great grandma, she just immediately starts interacting with this uh, person to give it a name. So it becomes like anthropomorphized, maybe even oh. provide a visual aesthetic where there's a person that appears and talks with them visually at some point. And so it's a little sad. It is a little sad. <laughs> but I mean, you have to realize that, you know, it's not okay. Firstly, I want to talk about this population demographic bomb everyone's talking about. It's not yeah. an accurate uh, depiction of China. I have a map. Basically, everywhere in the world except Africa has a demographic issue almost exactly identical to China's. So yeah. we're talking about, you know, I guess 80% of the world, 70% of the world population has mm. elderly folks who are not going to necessarily have the same experience yeah. uh, as the current retirees because things are changing demographically globally in a big way in the United States, Canada, almost all of the European Union, Japan, even it's more dramatic than in China, China, mm. other countries around the world, even even India is starting to slow down in its demography and it's starting to reverse to where the population is going to start to decline. I think the only country in the world that has a major population uh, explosion or growth is Nigeria. Most of mm. the rest of the world is in a uh, is in a contraction. So this yeah. device that we're talking about, as sad as it may seem, could really service the purpose. I mean, obviously, the, the better solution is get people together and community centers where they can oh, talk nice. with real human beings. But that yeah. is a reality that often does not happen. Why? Because elderly people are often very immobile. Yes, I know. I think. How about this? How about a better, a more something sure, sure, that'll sure. make Alex feel less sad of the <laughs> application of sure, AI sure, when sure. it comes to senior care? If we could have a smart system to monitor their health situation live. And when we do detect that there's something that they need help with, help mm. could be dispatched, could be dispatched immediately to make sure that they're mm. okay. And in a way, we could uh, kind of monitor their mm -hmm. emotional activities, mm. their you know psychological activities if they can. And so you know that when you need to really go see them, mm -hmm. sometimes it's not that oh I go see them every month and it makes it okay. It's when they feel like they need to have a human partner companion next to them and they don't have it. That's when they do need it. So if we have that data if we have that information so as you're wearing your meta glasses though a little green light will go off and say grandma's lonely grandma's lonely yeah <laughs> yeah and then call call grandma if you have time if you have a second because let's be honest grandma might not always be on our mind we're free <laughs> you know it's it's life it's the same for everybody so that may be and you know that makes me feel like oh it would be a great use of ai i may i'm gonna make this dystopian device i'm gonna get some a capital together get some vc and i'm i'm gonna make you know retirement election I'm going to be a billionaire, by the way, Alex. Can I jump in on it for a little bit? <clears throat> you have, to be, cool, you have to be as cold hearted as me. Grandma's going to be alone talking to AI, Alex. <laughs> we have to sell this. The more interaction she's going to have with other people, the less profitable our business is going to be. Oh, no. <laughs> you have to think about capitalism here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Money or just human joking, emotions. Just joking, just joking. <laughs> so, I mean, the ideas for the application of AI, we're just having on this radio show as two non-experts. I'm sorry. Maybe you are an expert. I'm not. Um, I'm not really. <laughs> but like, you know, 
these are dramatic, disruptive technologies that haven't already been discussed publicly in a large way. So if we could just come up with these ideas in 10 minutes, imagine the applications that people are going to be, quote unquote, realizing in the next five to 10 years. It's going to change things that we have not considered. It's going to change everything. The entire world is going to be a different place in five, 10 years. I'm excited, kind of. I want to see this this dramatically changing world, which is going to be so different than the world that we live same, in today. Same, same. It's, it's going to be same, it's fun. It's fun to be alive at this time. True, but I'm also going to prepare myself for a hideout. <laughs> <laughs> from the robot, from the machines. In case it gets too crazy. Yeah, there's, there's no, the robots are going to be able to find you, you know, like <laughs> they got like heat, I'll, heat I'll vision. I'll go off the grid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining the show, guys. We have a special request. I was thinking about this the other day. If you have someone in your life who likes listening to podcasts, we ask each one of our listeners, go and introduce our show at a party or on the phone to <laughs> one friend. That's all we ask. If you really love The Bridge and we love you, we love our audience, can you please introduce our show to one friend and show them a link how to get there so that they can join our family too. Thank you for your Let time, Alex. Let them be your friend for podcast love. <laughs> yeah, you can share The Bridge with them. Exactly. All right. Thank you for your time. See you next time. 